0: Greetings in the name of Jesus. I think that that phrase, that greeting is um, significant. You know, we say it often, perhaps without thinking about what it means, but it means that because of Christ, his sacrifice for us, his continued work on our behalf, we can meet together in a way that is unique in humanity. And so his presence, our connection with him, should flavor every other relationship. I would like to uh, to look at three verses this morning, not those alone, but um, just I'd like to read these three to start with and um, pull some things out of them. Turn to Ephesians chapter five, verse two. Ephesians five, two. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. The title of the, of the message this morning is Christ Our Sacrifice. And these three verses all specifically pinpoint Christ as our sacrifice. have given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now to 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump or um, a clump of dough, I think is the concept here. You can picture we've all seen bread dough, something like that. Uh, that's the image we have here. As ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Hebrews ten twelve. But this man speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Christ, our sacrifice. A sacrifice was something and is something of value that is offered up for destruction on behalf of another. In this case, the effect of the sacrifice was to deliver those who were under the condemnation of a holy God to reconcile to man and God who were were completely incompatible because of sin. And that was the whole purpose of all the Old Testament economy of sacrifices. It was a recognition of a distance between man and God that they couldn't really come together. You remember how it went with Adam and Eve, and they were driven out of the garden, and God no longer walked with them in the evening. And immediately this this system of sacrifices was instituted. And we're incompatible with God because of sin, this sin that we're helpless to avoid and which God can never accept. And it looks like a hopeless situation. And it would have been if it wouldn't have been for Christ. When the first people started offering sacrifices, when those animals were being killed, there was a recognition and understanding there that there was a disconnect between the one offering the sacrifice and the one to whom the sacrifice was being offered. And this sacrifice was an attempt to bring reconciliation between the two. In offering those sacrifices, the patriarchs were admitting that they were at odds with God. However, those animal sacrifices of the old covenant were insufficient. In in contemporary parlance, we'd say they just didn't cut it. These animals were themselves fallen creatures. All of creation was changed with the introduction of sin into the world. These animals, too, would die and I think that before the fall, they would have lived on. Death passed not only upon all men, but upon all of creation. And these creatures, the lambs and the goats and the cows, they too lived under the curse. Those animals, as they participated in these sacrifices. They had no comprehension of what this was all about. And they did it completely involuntarily. They did not choose to walk up there and open their throat up to the knife and die. They didn't understand any of it. So they were merely band-aids on a deadly wound representing, though, a future and a perfect and a satisfactory sacrifice who would serve as what our friend Job spoke of as a daisman between us. Job bemoaned the fact That he felt disconnected with God, from God. And if only, and he said there isn't one, but if only there could be somebody who could lay his hand on both of us and bring us together. But there was one who did that. So I'd like to go back to these three verses that I read and think about three points that perhaps can enlarge our comprehension of Christ's sacrifice. First of all, what was the motivation for Christ's sacrifice? Why did he do it? Well, this first verse here from Ephesians 5 says that uh, he commands us, first of all, to walk in love, to be in loving relationship. He said, just as God as Christ loved us. And because of that love, he offered himself up as a sacrifice. So love was Christ's motivation. Christ cared, and he cares deeply for us. Job was brought to the point where where he really questioned that. And maybe sometimes we wonder, you know, the person who wrote the song, does Jesus care? And he poses all sorts of questions, but then in the the refrain, he comes back with a full-throated response. Yes, he cares. I know he cares. Christ sacrificed himself because he loves us. You know, Christ picked up on this in, in was it John <coughs> where he, um, he said, look, he said, greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And he said, you're my friends if you do the things I command you. And he laid down his life for every one of us. Yes, Christ's primary motivation was that of love. God made us with a free will, with the ability to choose. He gives us plenty of commandments, plenty of of examples, plenty of things that we should do, but it's our voluntary choice as to whether we relate to him on those terms. He desires our voluntary worship and our voluntary service. And it seems that perhaps God ordained that the sacrifice that provides for our redemption was also voluntary. God the Father and God the Son were in perfect agreement. Yes, we do have the picture of Christ there in Gethsemane struggling as a human over what lay ahead. And he asked his father, is there another way? But he makes it clear that it's not my will, but yours. It was voluntary. Just as God asked for our voluntary yieldedness to him, our worship and our sacrifice to be from a free-willed heart, so Christ gave himself voluntarily. Those sacrificial animals from the old covenant, they had neither free will nor understanding of what it was all about. Christ had both. Christ was motivated not only by his love for us, but also by his desire to please his father. He said, I do always those things that please him. And this this verse that I read from Ephesians, he says, he hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. He recognized that this is what God wanted This is what I will do. i please him. It was something that was pleasing to God. And so when it came down to the wire there in Gethsemane, it was his commitment to God the Father, what what God wanted, his father wanted, that decisively tipped the scales in his decision. He said, I accept this. Let's go. The motivation for the sacrifice was God, was Christ's love for us, and his commitment to do the will of his Father. Let's look at the background of the sacrifice. Uh, I spoke just a bit of you know, the, the Old Testament economy, <clears throat> but I going to talk about that a little bit more how does the historical precedence from the, the Jewish law and the Jewish sacrificial system, how does that help help us to understand Christ's sacrifice? Um, this verse from 1 Corinthians 5 said, you know, purge out the old leaven. This was a part of, of this Passover uh, a ceremony that they were not to have any leaven in the house. Weep it all out, clean it all out, get rid of it all, and then they could move ahead with this with the Passover. and And he says, for even Christ, our Passover. Now the Jews had their Passover, and they were to pick out a perfect lamb, and they were to pen it up and observe it, make sure everything was just as good as they could make it. It was. a lamb in its prime, in its youth, and then they were to sacrifice it and put some of the blood on the doorpost and they were to eat of it without breaking any of its bones in its preparation. That was their sacrifice. But we have a Passover too. You see, that Passover lamb was that which delivered the Jews from God's destruction you remember, the, the God sent his angel through Egypt and upon and within every house on which there was not the blood on the two doorposts and the lintel on top. When that was lacking, the death angel entered and destroyed the firstborn. Christ is our Passover. His blood is that which delivers us from God's judgment. and So we have that as a background to help us understand. Romans 8, 3 says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Yes, sin is something that every one of us have to deal with. And God doesn't just say, oh, well, doesn't matter. They're, they're just people and they inherited this sinful nature. And He took it a bit more seriously than that and we have the sacrifice of Christ that stands as our deliverance, as we accept it, as we believe, as we say, yes, Christ, I believe in what you did, that God it as sufficient, and I want to yield my life to you that you can apply that to, my, to the doorpost and the lintel of my life. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 13 and 14, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. The historical background of blood sacrifice is vast and extensive. You know, it began right back there after Adam and Eve sinned that God killed animals and took their skins and made clothing for Adam and Eve. I think almost immediately. We have Abel's sacrifice as the story goes on. There were the animals that Abraham sacrificed there in the the covenant that God and Abraham made. A number of them blood sacrifice and then there were all the ritualistic sacrifices the mosaic law and i'm I'm not going to go into all of them but you know there was just all there was a number of different sacrifices they were to kill an animal take of its blood and put it on the altar or burn part of it and some of it went to the priest and but it was just animal after animal and blood after blood I think the culmination of that whole system was the Day of Atonement. And I would like to briefly mention that, that once a year, the high priest was to kill an animal. Was it a bullock? And he was to offer that up as a sacrifice for his own sins before he ever approached God on behalf of someone else. He was to offer up this animal as a sacrifice for his own sins, and take care of that. And then he was to take the second animal, and take of its blood, and carry it into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, and offer it there on the uh, the, the table of, of, of on, on the the word slips me. The uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and only under those circumstances was he allowed to enter there, because there dwelt the presence of God, a holy God. That was not a sacrifice for some specific sin, but If the people understood, they would recognize that no matter how many sacrifices that they offered, they probably hadn't offered for everything they had done. We know today that we do things even unintentionally, which are probably an offense to God. And so this sacrifice, the day of of atonement was a sacrifice, just a generic sacrifice For the whole nation. And yet, even that was not sufficient because every year they had to do it again. And the next year the same. And the next year the same. And as priests got old and died and other priests took their place, they had to keep on doing it. All this stands as a backdrop of the death of Christ. That was the final and complete fulfillment of all the sacrifices offered above before. And my third point here from Hebrews 10 is the scope of the sacrifice. We had the motivation for the sacrifice, the background for the sacrifice, And now the scope of the sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 12 says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I think that's a picture of a job complete. You sit down. When I'm done here, I'll sit down. When Christ was done, He sat down on the right hand of God, also a symbol of God's complete acceptance and and His uh, His stamp of approval on Christ's sacrifice. He offered one sacrifice for sins after what I believe were millions of sacrifices up to that point. He offered his sacrifice to take away the guilt of all sin, not just the previous year, not just that one thing that I did that I know was wrong, He offered a sacrifice for all people. There's no restriction. It's not just Jew. The Bible is very clear that this sacrifice is available for anyone. And it stands for all time and eternity. Praise his name. The scope of Christ's sacrifice is infinite in who it covers, what it covers, and its duration. While Christ's sacrifice is not the final step in God's reversal of sin and the fall of man, it was a central and very crucial point. Our redemption is not yet complete. Someday God will give us a new body that's not subject to the limitations that we experience here, a deathless body, and will escort us into his presence, something that we don't enjoy completely. Yes, we can relate to God freely, but there'll be something better. And Christ's sacrifice is a very crucial step in all that. In Christ, all the elements of the sacrificial system came together. Let me explain what I mean. Christ was the sacrifice on our behalf. He was our Passover. He is our Passover. He is also the priest, the one who offers the sacrifice Hebrews tells us that that Christ didn't just take this blood into the holy of holies, but he said he took his own blood and entered into the very presence of God and offered it there. And as divine and one with the Father, I believe that Christ is also one who accepts that sacrifice and grants forgiveness. I say in Christ... All the elements of the sacrificial system come together. He is the lamb that shed his blood on the cross. He is the attorney who pleads our case today. And he is the redeemer who will receive us into eternal life when he returns to earth. What is our response to all that? There's a beautiful Spanish hymn. I wish you could all understand it. I'm I'm wondering, those of you who studied Spanish at school, did you learn the song, Con Que Pagaremos? Raise your hand if you did. Okay, we've got two at least. Anybody else too scared? Okay, you know, I had a moment of insanity in which I thought maybe I'd just sing part of it to you, but I got over it. But uh, I I would, uh, you two young ladies would do a fine job. Could I ask you, I have the words, could I ask you to come forward and sing the first verse? Would you be willing to do that? Good, thank you. Now, you know a bit what it sounds like. And there's there's three other verses, and I'm going to give you what is a rough translation. Uh, When poetry is translated, it's a rough job uh, because you're you're just going to lose some of the cadence and the rhyming and, and all of that. But I want you to get the message. With what Will we pay love so immense that you gave your life for the sinner? In exchange, you receive the humble offering, the humble offering, Lord Jesus Christ, from my heart. And when the night spreads its cloak and my eyes and tears on you, I will fix. Raising my eyes, I see the stars I know that behind them, loving Father, you watch over me. I can't pay you with gold or silver, the great sacrifice that you made for me. I don't have to give you for loving me so much. Receive this song mixed with tears and my heart. So I hope that's the attitude with which we approach this communion service. I don't really have anything to give, but you are so good. I'd like us to have a song.